Welcome to episode one of Decoded, a brand new podcast by Marriott Digital Services, and we are grateful that you can join this journey with us. Before we get started, you're most likely wanting to know kind of who we are and why we've kickstarted this 10-part series now. So firstly, let's introduce, introduce some of the hosts. So my name is Chris, and my role at Marriott Digital Services is Director of Customer Success, and I'm going to be joined every couple of weeks by my good friend and peer, Mike. So Mike, how are you? Good, Chris. How are you? I'm good, man. So what's your role at Marriott Digital Services? My role is to make sure that our programs run effectively. So um, MDS programs largely are broken into uh, customer service and client success components where you're servicing um, the hotel client and their needs. And then the other side of the house is really about getting the work done that we that's included in those programs. We have um, an SEO competency, a content competency, and then paid media. Uh, I cannot speak to anything about paid media, but I know SEO and content pretty well. Um, so I help lead up the teams that um, deliver that work to our clients. And how, how long have you been in digital marketing? Ooh, 12, 12, 13 years since I graduated college. So that dates me a little bit, but it, at least 12 or 13. Yeah. Like you, I mean, I, I've been in digital a while, 14 years. I do remember fondly uh, making an image go from left to right on a on a website in 2006 and people thinking that I'd probably broken the internet at that point. <laughs> That's hot stuff. <laughs> it, it was at the time. So so um, more about Marriott Digital Services is you heard from Mike, we're a hotel digital marketing agency and kind of the unique thing about what we do is we work exclusively with Marriott International branded hotels running digital marketing strategies for individual hotels all over the world. And Marriott Digital Services has been in operation from around 2007, and we provide uh, non-for-profit non digital marketing programs and products to Marriott hotels. And we were called Emerge from 2007 to 2014, and we started out with just one program. Can you remember those days, Mike, where uh, we had 25 I hotels? Do. It's crazy. Um, and now we operate multiple different offerings across thousands of hotels globally. The specialisms, as Mike mentioned, we have a specialism in search engine optimization and content management, uh, updating online travel agency content like Booking.com and Expedia and buying ads on Google AdWords or Waze and just kind of running overall digital strategy. Hopefully, you are aware of who Marriott International are, but if not, Marriott was founded uh, by John Willard Marriott in 1927. Uh, by him and his wife, who opened a root beer stand in Washington, D.C., and now Marriott International operates around 7,000 hotels globally across 30 different brands. So big company and running lots and lots of digital campaigns. So to the podcast, MY Decoded, we, we truly wanted to bring the best and smartest minds and the best leaders in the digital space to produce a 10-part series on all things digital marketing. We're going to cover some in-depth digital topics and latest trends, and we're aimed to cover as much of what's going on in the digital marketing space today. So things like the power of photography and video, where to buy online ads that really produce the best return on your investment, and how to fully understand the complex search landscape. We're going to release a new episode every couple of weeks, and you can find us on any good podcasting apps. I think before we get started, we, we're going to be clear with you the content of this 10-part series is not an official point of view of Marriott International but however um, a very good and informed opinion of the views of Mike and I. So 
to today's agenda, we're going to cover some big news in the digital space. And then we're also going to be joined by Josh. And Josh is the manager of search engine optimization operations for our team. This really intelligent, smart, savvy guy who will talk us through the five most important things in SEO. So, Mike, to the news. The first one, uh, we, we heard from Google recently that they were going to update their ex, you know, Google page experience update, and it's set to launch next May, and Google confirmed that last May, uh, last uh, week, sorry. And that was roughly after around six months of the, when the company first announced that there was going to be an update. So we've got around six months to prepare for it. It's ultimately a new ra- ranking algorithm, which basically judges websites based on how the users perceive the experience of interacting with that web page. So that means if Google thinks that your websites have a poor experience on your page, measured by their new set of metrics, Google may not rank that page as highly as probably what they're doing now. So I guess it's not unusual to make uh, Google, you know, Google to make any of these major updates. They do many of them throughout the year and many minor ones throughout the year. But there's plenty of in-depth guides floating around online, but in short, you know, I guess these metrics are there to help the customer and make sure that the be- they're getting the best experience when they visit a, uh, a website and make sure that they're, they're receiving the best possible experience when, when navigating the web. So I guess, Mike, have you read about it? What have you heard from, from, your, uh, from your research? Certainly. So I think we read some of the, the same articles and uh, blogs on a regular basis. I think what jumps out to me about this one is Google really for the past couple of years has put a really heightened focus on like three key areas. Um, one is privacy, one is speed, and one is mobile. Um, privacy is ingrained in everything um, that Google has not been over the years. And I, I think they're trying to get really good about making sure that user data is locked down, that um, they're more trustworthy as a company because they, they've had issues over the years. Um, and and then with the rise of things like HTTPS, which makes sure um, that data can't be tra- get, uh, insecure data can't be transferred back and forth between parties, they're really doing a, a big push to kind of make sure everything is, is as secure as possible. Um, one downstream benefit of the way um, HTTPS works is it allows you to have to put a larger focus on speed within the system. So anytime you put gates or doors to a system, you need to make sure that there's speedy ways in and out. So Google's been putting a lot of of um, time and weight and energy into making sure that um, they rank websites with prominence that are super quick and speedy and snappy. Um, There's lots of different ways you can do that. You can um, make sure you have very small sized images. Um, You can make sure that those assets are well, I, th- I forget the exact word, but like if they're well, well, well compressed, right? So that when Google crawlers come to pick them up, um, they basically can just read them in a very quick manner and display them back. And that all goes back into to backend technology that um, m- many large companies like us take advantage of to provide those really speedy experiences. And then there's also something called AMP. And AMP is essentially creating, this is the simplest explanation ever, but it's recreating the content that's on a web page within a Google page with a very, very fast and minimalist UI. So you're just getting the information, you're getting um, the photography, any links out or any of that stuff, but it loads in a split second. So all of these things around privacy and speed are, are really aligning together. Um, and what kind of puts the top of that is mobile, 
right? I, I couldn't tell you the percentage off the top of my head, but the vast majority of anybody's time right now is on mobile. So Google's kind of deprioritized what is important on desktop. And the two other areas that I just mentioned are, are really, really important on mobile. So the way I view this is it's, it's nothing radical. It's nothing that is shocking or we wouldn't see coming as marketers. It's just the continued double down of that and, and calling things out very specifically. Over years, they've said, um, if, you, if you're providing AMP with the right code and they validate it properly, they'll show that. Um, if you have mobile friendly pages, they'll make sure that's shown and exposed. So this really, I think, is a matter of the kind of the culmination of all of that and making sure that now um, through these new metrics, which they haven't really shared a lot of them are yet, um, how well visitors perceive the value of those pages to be, right? If it's speedy, but you can't see the page content or the images are too small, I believe they're going to start taking some action on that and probably ranking you lower than would be ideal. Yeah, I mean, it was the, the article that I read was specifically focusing on like the presence of intrusive ads, you know, when you visit a website and mm -hmm. those popovers come over and you, you can't get rid of them, that kind of intrusive element, they, they would kind of push the site further down uh, the ranking as, as well. The other thing that they, they also mentioned is that they're going to test various different ways to display um, and, you know, different search results as well. So if a website has does have great experiences, maybe showing visual indicators for things like the AMP icons, or maybe mm -hmm. if the website is kind of slow, then maybe showing that in the search results, which I think will be hugely powerful to the customer. I would agree. I mean, as a user, I think probably one of the number one reasons I, I close out a web page is, is probably the ad experience. I mean, I, I personally can deal with a little bit of slow speed if it doesn't mean that the um, the ads are there. But I think that kind of ties back to the whole piece too, right? Is those ads are super intrusive. They pull a lot of data down. Many times they're coming from untrusted or unknown services with um, ways of sneaking data in and out. So, I mean, as a user, I, I totally welcome it. And I, I don't think, and as marketers, this is anything that we need to be um, super concerned about because a lot of the practices we do are um, all to, to spec and standard anyway. So I guess I'm excited about it. I mean, if you look at the perspective of impact, uh, you know, I think if you look at previous Google updates, you know, there was um, something called the Panda update and Burt update. They, mm -hmm. they, impacted they forecasted less than 12 percent of queries across those two updates so in truth like it's not update you know it's not impacting every query out there but there's definitely an impact and i'm sure uh, businesses will see that as they as they go through so if you look at what businesses could do today um you know i guess review any websites and and make sure that they're not running these popovers and that they're mobile friendly would do you think that's the best recommendation for now I do. I, I would say if, if you're running a, a, a business where you're relying on ads to, to, to pull in revenue, you need to make some decisions around what type of ad units you display, right? Because I think this is pretty clearly saying like ads are not evil. All of Google's revenue, more or less, besides services, is, is built on um, ad sales, right? So obviously they're going to bias a little bit towards their options. But I think it's a matter of just making sure that you, you're you in bed with a company that's, that has good morals when it comes to advertising and make sure that they don't sell data and you're not being um, overly intrusive with those experiences. So maybe it's some tough decisions you need to make as a business owner. But um, if you operate more on the hospital, hospitality space, which traditionally doesn't, it's not, you know, loaded up with ads on the website. Um, I think it's more about making sure that you're making the right investments in, in the right mobile technology, making sure you have, um, of course, a mobile friendly website and that as much content as possible can get um, streamlined into formats like AMP and other areas too. So I think it's a lot of doubling down on, on the guidance 
times Google's given us for the past couple of years anyway. Yeah, I think for, for my sake, I think visit your website like a customer on a phone and see what the experience is like. And, and if it's horrible, then, then do something about it. And, and that should have a, a beneficial impact to, uh, to anybody's business. So moving on, Google My Business. So if you've not heard of what Google My Business is, it's a free and easy tool for businesses and organizations ultimately to manage their online presence across uh, Google, includes search functionality and, and maps. And it really helps customers find your business and tell them a story and show reviews. And, and businesses can verify and edit their information within that. So the the good thing is with with this kind of platform is that, as I mentioned, there are reviews within it and there are photos as well, both from a business and also from a from a customer as well. And, and in a recent release, uh, Google announced that they were providing performance reports and insights. And these reports will now begin to include new data pieces, which will help business owners and marketeers basically do a better job of optimizing their listing and understanding what type of business is driving. The new data focuses on how customers are using the search functionality and maps to find your business and ultimately what the user does when they seize it. So that, do they click the website? Do they click to make a phone call? Which, which I personally think is, is really big news, Mike. I, I, think it's, I think it's super exciting what they're, what they're putting together with, with Google My Business. And what, what, what to me is most exciting about it is you, you put your data in one place and Google begins to display it in a bunch of other places around the web. So one is obviously in search results, one is in local, one is in maps. Um, and I think what particularly is exciting to me is all of the, um, the phrasing and attributes and clear labeling around the, the COVID protocols. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was another thing that they released recently was the COVID attributes for various different types of business, not all types of business, but things like whether masks are really, uh, required or, um, you know, an appointment is required or if staff or customers are required to get, you know, temperature checks. And I think with Google being one of the most first common touch points for anybody looking for a business online, it's likely those businesses that use those designations will see receive a positive response from customers. I would agree. I think that the good part about this is it's it's obviously as you said it's it's rolling out slowly. It's not everywhere yet, but based on the the business type that you operate, um, these fields become available in whatever service you're using to to manage your Google listing. So it might be directly in the Google My Business feed. It might be in something like Yext, which is a a service that you basically can use to operate and load data into hundreds of different local services that people use. Um, so as these attributes come online, I think it's important to take take stock of um, what, you know, what are the local legality concerns with um, where you live, what's the state level and what's the, the government level to a degree to make sure that you're being um, ad adherent to those and loading that information in. Because whenever Google basically tells you that there's a new field available, they want you to use the field. They want you to put time and weight in that because for a period of time, they're probably going to prioritize and weight that over other pieces. So um, whenever there's a new field, just jump on it. And in this case, it makes a lot of sense for um, safety and precautionary measures. So there's been some pretty big updates in the Instagram space. So they've done a redesign of their app, bringing shop and real tabs kind of now being a more of a permanent fixture on the home screen. And they announced this last week. So the new design really pushes that create a new post and activities options out of the main tab that you would have seen across the bottom and up to uh, the top and reels, which is a, a new product or function that um, Instagram have, which is basically a short video product, which is a rival to, uh, to TikTok. 
Instagram also announced recently, which I saw an update to the search functionality. So previously, users were limited to uh, search searching by for people's profiles, hashtags, or different locations. And now they're going to give users the capacity to search by specific keywords in, in the fact of the, and the hope that it's easier for users to find content. So in the past, if you wanted to show up for relevant searches, previously you would have had to include the right hashtags or the location or whatever it might be to make sure that you showed up. But now you won't necessarily have to do that and add every possible hashtag variation to kind of maximize that visibility. So it seems from looking at the app, you can search for certain things and not others. And upon reading some more, the search is pretty limited to kind of general interest topics. I tried to search for some politics topics and it wouldn't, it wouldn't let me do that. So they kind of seem to be limiting what people can search for, but a pretty interesting development in the social space. Yeah, I think the, um, the changing interface is something that I'm, I'm personally struggling with as a user because they, they, I have it open right now. And I think anything that you would have done to create content is now moved into an area where we used to consume it, right? Like what was the create a post field is now reels. Um, what was look at the reactions to your content is now shopping. So I mean, just the monetization play continues. And I know this is one of the reasons where um, the founders of Instagram left a couple of years back because of how aggressive Facebook, who is their parent company, was, was pushing commerce here. Um, I, I don't mind the universal create content button over in the, the top right. Um, I think it's kind of cool to be like, oh, what do you want to do, right? Do you want to create a reel? Do you want to create a post or story? And I, mean, I think for all intents and purposes, stories and reels are really the focus right now, or at least where uh, younger users are using are, are, are flocking to given places like TikTok that I'll be honest, I, I don't understand. Um, so maybe Chris, we can get someone that can explain TikTok to us one day. I think that'd be a, a great, um, a great guest. Um, and then the keyword field, um, it's okay. I mean, I think Instagram does a really good job of discover anyway. And based on what you like and view, they, they'll give you good stuff in that pane anyway. So I think the keyword thing is okay. Um, but I will say if you search for decoded, uh, we don't come up, so we should, we should probably do something about that. We should. So, I mean, I guess unless you're running a business today, selling products, um, you know, physical products, there's probably not much from a shopping perspective to do, but, um, you know, just be aware. But if you do run a business, which is selling, you know, uh, physical products and you you've discounted Instagram as a channel to focus on the past, then I guess now's the time to reevaluate that because of how much shopping has become a key part of Facebook's revenue strategy and they're really pushing it. So it's one of their largest advertising vehicles and really, you know, they're very heavily focused on it. So it might be a time to, to reevaluate it. I think if, if a hotel is or a business is considering something like reels and the short video products, I guess people can just test and try content out and evaluating the engagement. It's I've personally noticed, and I don't know if you have Mike it appearing in your Instagram feed for people that I don't follow. So maybe a new way of, of reaching a new audience. Yeah. Certainly. I think it is a, a way to, they're, they're just putting it everywhere. Right. Um, and then just to respond to your piece about the, the commerce profiles. I mean, I think it's, I think it's really cool if you are an influencer or looking to get into that space that you have a, a really organic way to shop now and, and promote what you may be doing a promotion or an, um, an influencer campaign for. Right. Um, let's just say I'm an influencer and I'm promoting, I don't know, hats for whatever reason. It's a really easy way to then link over to those stores. It's a, it's an organic way to do it. Cause I guess if anything, one thing, I respect is how transparent they're being about like calling out like this is an ad this is a sponsorship this is a partnership so oh, I mean I, I, I agree with the underlying tech of it I'm just struggling with using it as a user 
Yeah, I agree. So the other thing that um, is big news is uh, Datarama at the end of October held their Limitless conference. And as we all know, 2020 has been a, a year of sub- substantial global change. And Datarama are a, um, a reporting and analytics company. And they uh, thought it would be good and it, and it was fantastic to bring marketeers together and, and really kind of talk about their two key responsibilities, which is ultimately delivering a relevant experience to customers and continuing to drive growth and efficiency even in times of uh, global change. And their Limitless conference really centered around the theme of agility and they discussed how marketeers can use data to unlock further different aspects of marketing and why being you know flexible and having a data-driven approach is, is critical in 2020 but also into next year. The interesting thing, though, is that you can also hear from Merit Digital Services there. So our peer and colleague, Laurie, who's the Senior Manager of Process and Systems, and myself talked at that conference and, and spoke about how the, our team evolved and pushed forward through 2020 through despite all the world events. And what we'll do is we'll link the registration um, to that conference in the show notes and you can watch the recording of it. But Mike, did you, did you watch the recording? I didn't. So I'm going to click those show notes and, uh, and learn. Well, and you also get to hear from Bill Nye, who, as a as a British man living science in America, guy? the science guy. I I I'd never I never knew who he was, but our American uh, peers were very excited about that. He's a national hero. He's uh, like Captain Planet. He's uh, he's rich '90s nostalgia, which is uh, which is big right now. And then another update in the social space: um, the Twitter announced uh, a new product. So uh, the social platform Twitter, which has more than 330 million users, debuted uh, debuted a new sharing feature called Fleets, where users can share photos and text and repost other tweets in a post that vanishes after 24 hours. So it's pinned at the top of the mobile app, similar experience to things like uh, Instagram Stories or Facebook Stories. From what I can see, it's not yet on um, uh, desktop and I can't see anything um, announced in that space. But I guess the idea isn't new, Mike, and with it already being live on things like Instagram and Facebook and even LinkedIn as well, um, added it recently. But from a functionality perspective, it seems pretty limited. I agree. I mean, it, it looks to me and in, in functions nothing else like Twitter, right? Like Twitter at, at its heart is it's text with a bunch of different assets around it, right? Be it links, be it imagery, be it um, GIFs, et cetera. And this is just the complete opposite, right? It's it's something that um, from a design perspective is everywhere right now, right? I, I It started, if I'm not mistaken, with Snapchat, moved over to Instagram, um, and then from there is just kind of funneled into every other platform where it's really just become a common feature, right? I think that's one thing with with tech is at some point feature power just takes over everything and originality is sacrificed for a bit. So, I mean, I guess it's not shocking that they they put this out there. I know it, I believe they trialed it somewhere in South America, and I know that's huge in um, that whole region of the world is, is huge with social. So I've got to believe the data was compelling enough to launch it out there, but I agree. I think it's fairly limited. I mean, if you know, back to our, our Google comment before, whenever a platform releases something new, it generally that's them nudging you to use it because they're going to display you more. Right. So if you want to get to the top of Twitter, I think, and get a little circle icon there, you'll probably have a better chance of doing it now than you ever will again. So try it out if you want, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't get a ton of value out of them. And, um, if I want some content like that, my, I don't go to Twitter for creative, but that's probably um, maybe how I use Twitter. 
I think, you know, if any business out there is using um, Instagram stories or Facebook stories aggressively or, or even LinkedIn stories, then, then it might be a space for them, right? And might be a space for, to, to try and, and test it out and, and see what kind of engagement they have got. I know when I've uh, posted some test content within LinkedIn stories, the number of views that you get is fairly low. And I'm meaning probably two to three percent of the audience group that follow that page low, which um, is it was surprising to me. Have you tried it out yourself? Uh, I haven't tried um, fleets. Um, I, I, I mentioned before we started recording that it was kind of, uh, you know, the, the experience behind it wasn't great. Right. When I was trying to like push through them, like you would do on Instagram stories, it kept opening something up and it, I was like struggling a little bit with the experience, but um, I guess that will all come with refinement over time. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right. So now we're going to be joined now by um, Josh Vogel. And as, as we mentioned at the start, he is the MDS uh, SEO operations manager. Um, and his, he's, he's super intelligent, knows so much about SEO. So we thought versus you hearing just from Chris and Mike about our thoughts and feelings on search engine optimization, we'd bring the expert along. So, uh, hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. Doing great. Good. So, um, so when we talk about SEO operations, boil that down. What, what, what's your role at Marriott Digital Services? Sure. So as the manager of SEO operations within MDS, uh, I'm responsible for the SEO strategy for all of the hotels that we support, as well as actually scaling out the execution of that SEO strategy um, for each of, each of our hotels to ensure that we set them up for SEO success. All right. So we, we've spoken a lot just, just now about, about marketing and all these different changes. But if you think about digital marketing, what, what do you love about digital marketing? What I love about digital is that there's so many different ways that we can make changes and uh, so many different tactics that we can use to set up a business for success. You and Mike just spoke about tons of different uh, innovations that all of these different channels have made uh, over the past couple of weeks and months. And the industry is always innovating with so many different ways that we can use to help our businesses reach our customers and find the right traffic that they're looking for. Okay. So if somebody is sat listening to this and thinking, what on earth is search engine optimization or SEO? Like, what is it, Josh? Give us the, the, you know, the 101 version of what SEO is. Sure. Well, first off, SEO stands for search, up, search engine optimization. And boiling SEO down uh, is as simple as it's the practice of increasing both the quality and the quantity of the traffic that you receive to your website through uh, search results within a search engine such as Google or Baidu or Yandex. And so, you know, breaking that down, uh, both I mentioned quantity and quality, right? We want to ensure that we're receiving the right traffic to our website. So say that we are a luxury hotel. We, we, we want to be receiving the right sorts of uh, people that are looking for luxury hotels, right? We, we, we don't want someone that's looking for a uh, extended stay hotel that's, you know, looking to stay in our hotel maybe for a couple of months. No, we're really looking for that person that's trying to uh, trying to look at a luxury hotel, right? So 
it's important to get that right quality of traffic. Uh, someone, someone that's looking for your business and is likely to convert and book at your business or transact at your business. Um, and also we want the quantity, right? So if we do everything right within SEO, uh, there's a very good chance that you can increase the amount of people that are finding your business and your website via organic search within uh, different search engines like Google. So, so, um, so Josh, I think you've been doing SEO for a couple of years now, and I think it, it's one of those marketing uh, disciplines that sometimes get a, gets a bad rap. Um, if you were to, to give someone um, a pitch on why SEO is right for their business, how would you do it? SEO is very important to a business's success, especially from a digital marketing perspective. And really the reason is, if you're looking for a business, if you're looking for information online, on your phone, on a tablet, on your computer, chances are you're going to a website like Google or Bing or Baidu or Yandex. And people are really interested in the first couple of results, that they'll, the first couple of search results that they'll see within these pages. Chances are people are going to trust that information the most. People are going to want to book or, uh, you know, use those different services that they find within the, the first couple of search results. So it is critical for you to be able to position yourself within the first couple of results. That way you could succeed. And really the best way for you to do that is investing within SEO and uh, really driving your efforts there. So, so Josh, if, if you were looking at the SEO landscape today, what is the biggest misconception about search engine optimization? Uh, so a big misconception with SEO is this is something that I am not ranking at all for a search term. I, I'm not showing up at all, right? I, I want this changed overnight. I'm going to put in all this effort. I'm going to put in all this money for SEO. And tomorrow I expect that I'm going to rank number one in Google and I'm going to you know, do great in SEO. In reality, SEO is something that takes time. We need to put in a lot of effort to, uh, get the changes that we're looking for, the different success that we're looking for, but really have some patience and allow different sites like Google to do their thing, to, to, see, how, to see what's going on on our site, on the different uh, platforms that we're utilizing, and uh, you know, really just give it the time to do its magic, right? So SEO, while very powerful, just really takes some patience and uh, give it some time to, to do its work. So Josh, I think you just, you just uh, very well did your best to set expectations around why SEO is important, why you should make an investment in it. But you know the question we get, how long till you rank? So that can really vary, uh, you know, based on the different sort of site that you have, how many different pages are within that site, and how often a site like Google would crawl your website. So uh, different search engines use, web, uh, use crawlers to be able to look at the millions, if not billions of different uh, sites around the internet and to be able to see what content is on that site, what that content means, who it's relevant to, and be able to really uh, just put it within its index and be able to position uh, those different sites within search results for different uh, queries and different uh, searches that people are interested in. So. Obviously, Google can't be crawling every single site uh, across the universe at every moment. So it, it, it takes time for them to be able to crawl and see what's going on with your site. 
It also takes time for them to be able to understand the changes that you've made, right? Uh, if we're or if we're going back to my example before, if we're going from just positioning ourselves as a hotel and changing that position to being a luxury hotel, we're going to need to take some time to, on our end, to uh, to change up that content and the keywords within our site. But also, it's going to take Google some time to first actually crawl the pages within the site that we're trying to make changes to, and also, uh, you know to be able to understand it and to be able to start to rank within search results for those terms that you're trying to position yourself for. So uh, it, it could take a, mat a matter of uh, weeks sometimes, or you know, depending on the term and how competitive something could be, it could take months. So really, like I mentioned, patience is, uh, is critical. SEO really isn't something that happens overnight, but you know, it's important to be invested for the long run. Yeah, I think that's a great message to send to anybody that's curious about SEO that's not on the practitioner side like you are is, I know Chris and I received those questions over the years about like, okay, I'm doing it. When do I see my impact? Because so many channels like paid and, and social media, it's, it's so much instant gratification. SEO is just, it's not that at all, right? It's like, it's attempting to grow a, a garden, if you will, right? It, it takes time. You've got to nurture it and you've got to do a lot of work to, to maintain it and keep it going and then improve it over time. So um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing your insights. Absolutely. So, so Josh, there's obviously hundreds and hundreds of factors of why a website would rank higher than, than another factor, but we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of pull out maybe the top five areas for any business to focus on. So let's work from the bottom up. We'll start with number five and we'll get to number one, but we really want to cover those kind of biggest things, which any business can focus on um, as they as they consider their SEO strategy. So, Josh, what's your uh, number five spot? Sure. Yeah, and just to just to throw a, a caveat on here, right? Uh, these are my top five uh, keys to success within SEO at the moment, um, and they can be totally subjective, right? Mike and Chris could have very different ideas than I do, but here's my number five. Uh, that's going to be measuring performance. So it's important for your, us to be able to see how much, uh, what percentage of traffic is coming from natural search uh, from SEO and figure out exactly what our goal is for, for that. So do we want to have 30% of the traffic uh, to our website coming from natural search? Do we want that to be higher or lower? But set that goal and then figure out and see through different reporting tools exactly how much percentage you are receiving. Um, from there, you know, let's, let's, let's make some changes to be able to hopefully uh, improve and increase your, uh, your percentage of traffic that you're looking for. With that, uh, you could do a variety of different things really to find areas that are struggling um, and improve upon those to ultimately increase your SEO traffic, your organic traffic. So, so do you think it's, it's fair to say, if you look at, look at performance, it's important to understand where SEO or natural search traffic ranks in your overall traffic strategy, right? If it's, if it's position one or two, that should be where the majority of your budget goes. Is that an accurate statement, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to see what your goals are, right? Where, where do you think it's most important to receive your traffic from? And based off of that, you know, really, really decide where, where you want to focus most of your effort. 
but I definitely agree with that statement. Josh, that's, that's, a, that's a great set of tips there. If you were to tell people to go look at one metric in their um, analytics dashboard after this call, what would it be? So you could take a look at the uh, different keywords that you're targeting, right? And see exactly how your ranking has changed over time. And take a look and see how that's impacted the traffic that you've received to your website, right? So let's just say we started out with a bunch of keywords that we weren't ranking for. And maybe we started uh, going from not ranking to position 50. And then over a couple of months, we made it to position 25. And now we're at position 10, right? We can then take a look and see how, how our traffic has changed. We're, we've really improved ourselves over a variety of different new keywords. Um, and let's see how our, uh, our percentage of traffic and the number of visits, our conversion, how all that has changed based off of that. So Josh, moving on to number four, what's your, what's in number four spot? Sure. That would have to be local links. So this is important for a couple of different reasons. First off, uh, if we forget about the different uh, search engines that we're trying to impress and uh, perform well on, but if we, we just think about a user experience, right? Say that we are a wedding venue and we're trying to get business. We, we obviously want to, uh, we want to sell weddings so that way we could stay in business. For uh, people to be able to find us. And with that, we can use uh, inbound links to our site, right? So uh, different uh, places where people would be looking to plan a wedding. So whether that be uh, a convention and visitors bureau. Um, so, you know, you're looking, or something within that general city, uh, whether that be hotels that, uh, you know, you decide that you want to have all your guests stay at this hotel. Let's, uh, let's see what this hotel recommends for where you might host a wedding. Uh, could be different sites like uh, Wedding Wire, right? Uh, so all these different uh, sites, it's important for um, from a guest experience, right? That we're listed on those sites so we could glean some traffic from there and uh, have our people find us in the right places. But from an SEO perspective, local links are also really, really vital due to the fact that it shows, it shows different search engines, different, uh, different information, right? So going back to that wedding example, let's just say we are listed on a site like Wedding Wire. That is a very, very trusted website. It's a website that performs pretty well, right? So if Wedding Wire is deciding to link out to my wedding venue, then it means that Wedding, wedding Wire has some trust in me. And if that's the case, then we're getting what we call in the industry some link juice that Wedding Wire is then passing along to my site. So Wedding Wire is giving over to my venue. And in turn, uh, you know, we're, we're really able to pass along that trust, that link juice, um, and really improve us from an SEO perspective. Uh, and really the more quality links that we receive, the better that we're indicating to Google that we're a trustworthy site. Other, other sites think so, and, uh, you know, should really help us with our SEO ranking. Um, 
But as I mentioned, it's very, very important that these are quality sites uh, over the quantity of sites. So if you have local links, inbound links to your website from a bunch of spammy or low quality sites, this could cause you to actually be penalized. So just very important that we, we get that right, uh, that right site that is linking to us and not go for just a quantity of sites. So if I'm a business today and I'm trying to trying to get more links to my to my website, how do you how do you determine the quality, as you said, there of a, of another website that you don't own or run? You could either look at that site yourself and try to judge it, but uh, you know to make things a bit easier, there's some different SEO platforms that you could utilize, and these are sites that are looking at all different websites across the universe. And based off of their own proprietary uh, metrics and information, they're able to come out with their own metrics that they could offer you to take a look and see what sort of authority this, this site has and whether or not they're spammy. So you could use different sites like Moz, which is a very respected SEO authority, or Majestic. And you know, each of these sites has its own metrics that you can look at, but will really help you see how, how well that site that you're looking at is. And also based on the different metrics and how well they're doing, you could see which sites you should prioritize to try to get links to your site with. Okay, so moving on to number three, who's what's in number third spot? For this, I'd have to say using your competitors, right? So we could always we could always learn something from uh, different competitors, and that also relays over and relates to SEO, right? We can, let's just say, um, we, you know, we were talking about using sites like Mazda Majestic uh, to be able to see the quality of a site. You could use, also use these sites to be able to see the different links that your competitors are receiving and see if those would be also relevant and valuable links that you could target for your business as well. So important to look at competitor uh, information there, but also in general, um, your competitors, they might be succeeding and doing well for certain reasons. And if we look at their site, if we look at their presence across other areas, say social media, say review sites, uh, we can really see and figure out why they are succeeding. And based off of that, we could uh, try to get some best practices that could also help us uh, when within SEO as well. Moving on to number two, Josh, what's in the, the second spot? So that's going to be uh, creating a theme and updating your content. Going back to what I mentioned at the top, right? We are looking to get quality and quantity of, of, of traffic, right? So we want to be attracting the best quality and people that are actually interested in our business. So it's important to think of what our business's DNA is, what our, what our theme should be, what people are looking for, and position ourselves based off of that. So going back to my luxury hotel example, uh, you know, we, we, we've decided that the theme that we want to position ourselves as is a luxury hotel. So now we should start to do some keyword research and find different uh, relevant luxury hotel terms that people are looking for, and then update our content to really 
to really show that we are that luxury hotel and uh, provide users with information about that. Uh, once we do that, then you know, we'll be able to start to hopefully rank when uh, sites like Google crawl our site. But important for you to find that unique positioning, that unique theme, and run with it. Yeah, I think I think that that line that you just said there that you find that unique positioning is is crucial. Um, what what's your sense and what's your feeling on hotels or any type of business, frankly, trying to position themselves as something they are not? So, for example, a um, a car company that sells their cars for a thousand dollars probably not a luxury car company, or a a hotel that says I'm an you know, I have extended stay apartments when they're just a regular hotel. Like, talk to me about how, like, you know, hotels can't really, or businesses can't really, you know, say that they're something that they're not. If I could ask quick, quick though, Chris, what's a thousand dollar car? Where do you get this? It, it's in my garage, I think. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> too funny. So, my best practice is always to be as truthful as possible. We don't want to fool uh, our potential customers, nor do we want to fool the search engines because both of fooling both of those, uh, of those entities could really cause us some real harm. Uh, first, let's talk about people and potential customers. We don't want to position ourselves as something that we're not because let's just say we do in fact rank for something and like you were saying, Chris, the extended stay apartments at, at a hotel. Let's say we do rank for that. Someone's looking to come visit our city and stay in an extended stay apartment, let's just say for three months. You know, they're looking to get away and uh, get a change, right? If we do happen to rank for that, and if people do happen to find our hotel, uh, they book a room think, thinking that it is going to be an extended stay apartment, they then travel to our city, come to our hotel, they're not going to be too happy when they find out that we don't have, we don't have uh, any extended stay apartments. We aren't an extended stay hotel where you can find these apartments and expectations versus reality are going to start to kick in pretty quickly. And you're not going to be happy. Uh, your hotel is going to have to do some real explaining as to why you aren't, uh, what you're positioning yourselves as and probably have to make some uh, big concessions and help that person out because uh, you know, they're very frustrated and they aren't receiving what they're looking for. So Gosh, that's a, that's you know, we, a great we, point. Um, do, do you think that also is something that can fuel user reviews? Cause we know um, Google puts a lot of priority on that nowadays as well. Absolutely. It's all about trust. So going to the example that I was just uh, talking about with the extended stay apartment, Say you were extremely frustrated because you got to the hotel and found that it wasn't what you were expecting it to be. Chances are you're going to leave a pretty negative review on a site like Google or Yelp or TripAdvisor. And that carries uh, a lot of weight, both among individuals, right? So if I'm looking to stay in an extended stay apartment, I'm going to look at reviews for different places. And, uh, you know, uh, based off of that, I probably, if I see a bunch of negative reviews, probably won't choose that business. But also it plays into SEO and uh, search engines take a look at reviews as well um, and helps within the ranking algorithm. I spoke about how it's important not, not to fool individuals, people, 
but we also don't want to fool search engines because we could be penalized for it. And search engines are looking to see if we really are the business that we're claiming to be. Uh, a great example of this would be for a proximity-based term. So let's just say, for instance, uh, we want to position ourselves as a hotel in Orlando that is right near Disney World. In reality, we are 10 miles away from Disney World. Say, Chris, that you're looking to uh, take the kids uh, on a nice vacation to Disney World, and you uh, you find that you find that hotel that claims that they're right at Disney World, but uh, turns out that you're actually 10 miles away from Disney World. And each day you have to drive 10 miles to go to the park and 10 miles back when you're super exhausted. Are you going to be happy about that? I don't think I'll be happy about going to Disney World, to be honest. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I, to be safe. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I think, uh, being truthful is is the is the number one thing. You know, you you can't fool a customer, but you can't fool Google either. Exactly. So if Google does see uh, for a proximity based search, so hotels near Disney World, uh, if, if they see that we're trying to target this term, they're probably not going to pay too much attention to it because it's all based off of that proximity to the point of interest. So what truly are the closest hotels, the most relevant hotels near Disney World? Chances are is one that's 10 miles away, we're not too relevant, and we probably won't be able to rank for a term like that. All right, so let's talk about your number one focus area. What sits in the top spot, Josh? The point you've all been waiting for. Exciting. Uh, that's going to be I'm on my toes. the power of... <laughs> The power of uh, UNAP consistency, as we refer to it, and that is your hotel's information, it's UNAP, uh, URL, name, address, and phone number. You can think of it as your basic contact information, as your basic identity, right? And the consistency of this across your site and all the different sites that your hotel's information, your business's information is showing on is paramount to your SEO success. We could again think of this uh, from both a user and from SEO. Going to a user, let's just say we are looking to get a haircut and we're looking for information about a local barber shop. I find an address on, let's just say Google Maps or uh, Facebook, or the Facebook page for that barber shop. And I plug, it, I plug that address into, into my GPS and I show up and turns out that that's not actually the right address for the barbershop and I am a couple of blocks away. I'm not going to be too happy. Chances are I'm going to try to find a different barbershop because I'm so frustrated that I just drove out of the way to get there, right? So it's important from a user experience that we're providing them with the proper UNAP, uh, UNAP information about our business, that they're able to contact us and find us, get in touch with us. But also, if we look at it from an SEO perspective, we want to show sites like Google that we have all the right information, both on our site and other sites that are displaying our information. Because in turn, Google is going to be the ones that are ultimately displaying our information. And Google doesn't want to be the ones that are letting you down because they're providing you with incorrect information. 
So it's that consistency across all different sorts of sites that is paramount to your success, um, both from a user and SEO experience. Uh, and ultimately, if you do have uh, inconsistent UNAP across different sites, Google could think that there's something wrong with your business. Maybe you're closed. Maybe you're not trustworthy. Uh, you know, and chances are they're not going to want to display you uh, instead of displaying a reputable, trustworthy business that's down the street from you. So that's a great point. Very, very hammering. You keep hammering on trust really aggressively. Can you talk a little bit about where that UNAP data um, can feed to and what services take it in? Your, your UNAP is listed not only on your site, but a variety of different sites across the web, the internet. So you can be listed on review sites like Yelp and TripAdvisor. You can be listed on, in the case of hotels, on uh, OTAs. So sites like Expedia and Booking.com. Uh, like you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, uh, Google My Business, you could be listed there. Uh, within Amazon's Alexa, within uh, Snapchat even, right? You can be listed in tons of different uh, areas across the internet. And important for us to be consistent there, but also, if we think about it, right, let's just say our address has changed. We then have to go and update our address on hundreds of different websites across, across the uh, internet, which can be very annoying, very tedious, take us a lot of time, and very difficult, right? We have to figure out the username and password for the account that we've created on each and every site. Then we have to go submit that update some sites we might need to check and see whether it went live within a week. Other sites might go live instantly, but it's going to take us a lot of time to find out that information all in all these different sites and update it. So where a lot of smart marketers uh, put their time is to a location management platform like Yes that you mentioned earlier, Mike, where within Yes you can load in all the information about your, your business, whether you have this one location or hundreds or thousands of locations, put in each, uh, each business's information, whether it be your UNAP, uh, a description, photos, amenities uh, that your business offers. And they then have partnerships with hundreds of other publishers that they feed information out to. And when you have a change, they'll go ahead and push it out to all the different publishers that they work with. And also if they find something that just is inconsistent, even if your address hasn't changed or your phone number hasn't changed in months, if they find something inconsistent, they'll work to get it fixed on your behalf. So it's kind of like you have a 24-7 uh, watchdog that's always looking out for you and making changes on your behalf, sometimes without you even knowing about it. But really, we're looking to set ourselves up for success and having a partner like that is so helpful. Okay, so that kind of rounds out our top top five if if there are any kind of you know anybody wants to know more about a search engine optimization they want to educate themselves further are there any good resources that you'd recommend josh shameless plug for the decoded blog by mds you could check out that uh where we have great lots of great resources uh both about seo and other areas within digital marketing you could also check out sites like moz uh search engine land uh, just to name a few that are really great SEO resources that not only are showing you different education. So we mentioned uh, local linking and uh, link building before, 
What if you don't really know much about link building? You could check out these sites and learn information about them, but you could also uh, rely on them to provide you with the most up-to-date information about different updates that happen on different platforms like Google or Facebook or Instagram. They'll give you the most up-to-date information and you can just have your one source that you go to and you rely on for SEO and digital marketing as a whole. And some of them even provide you with subscription services that for free you could get a daily or weekly newsletter uh, to get the most up-to-date information and really what you should, be, what you should uh, focus your time and attention to. All right, Josh, bonus question time. If uh, I think you've, you've laid the platform well that um, so much about SEO is good technology and using that technology the, the way it's intended to be to help things like UNAP and, and trust and, and visibility. Um, one benefit of our industry is there's so many places out there that have free trials of their software or demos. Um, if you were to talk to a, a curious uh, digital customer, what's one tool you'd recommend that they do a free trial of? I'll give you two. So we've got uh, both of them I've already mentioned. You have both Yet, where again, we can use that as our location manager and push out our information to a variety of different businesses, reach out to them, get a trial and see what they've got to offer and how they can help you, as well as Majestic, or, or sorry, as well as Moz. And uh, Moz will help you out with a variety of different tools for SEO. So. They could help you with link building and local linking uh, to do different research of not only these sites that you and your competitors are ranking for, but also for other sites and to see the different, uh, qual the quality of those sites, how spam if they're spammy. Uh, you could also use a site like Moz for other tools like uh, checking your citation, uh, UNAP consistency. So really would recommend looking into free trials for both YEX and uh, for Moz, they'll really help you out and save you lots of time and make it successful. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise, Josh. And uh, it's been a huge amount of fun. I've personally learned a lot. So um, thanks again. And, and Mike, thanks for, uh, for joining the journey for this first episode. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Josh. Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll wrap up, but thank you so much for listening. We are grateful that you joined this journey with us. You can get in touch with the show over on Twitter at MDS underscore decoded and you can email us at MDS at Marriott.com. Feel free to send us any questions and we may even address some of them on the podcast too. If you like today's podcast and you can spare a few minutes, it would be fantastic if you could share a review, especially on iTunes. It really does help other people find the show and ensure that we're sharing this knowledge with more and more people. The next episode will be released in two weeks and we're going to go deep into paid media buying ads in return for revenue, how you could sell more uh, products and, uh, and, and services, um, and also focus on specific items like restaurants or spas as well. You can enjoy this podcast on any good post podcasting app, and you can learn more about digital marketing at mdsdecoded.com. Thanks for listening.